Welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. I'm Liam Dempsey. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello, guys. And Paul Wilson-Morris. Hello. Today, we are taking the turbo lift down to the lower decks of the USS Spotlight, as if we weren't there already, to explore Star Trek Lower Decks, the latest iteration in the Star Trek franchise. Captain's Log. Stardate 57436.2. First contact is a delicate, high-stakes operation of diplomacy. One must be ready for anything. <gasps> Captain's log? <laughs> We're all supposed to keep logs. Okay, let me listen to it. No, go away. Leave <laughs> me alone. I can't believe you're no, wasting no. your shore leave on this. I can't believe it. This is the greatest ship I've ever seen. Hey, you. Green girl. Pump this. Don't pass out. Oh. Sorry, sorry. I'm good at exploring strange new worlds and solving space mysteries. Let's see what I got to sign. Holodeck waste removal. That's Klingon prison stuff. Oh, oh, oh. Ensign, do you see a captain's chair in your future? I hope so, ma'am. Hey, if I part my hair like this, do I look more promotable or less? The Cerritos might be falling apart, but that's our job to keep it together. Ensign, you are a natural-born warrior. Okie dokie. And we're here? No, we're actually way down here. Keep it moving, Lower Decks. Next! My senior staff are always up for a challenge. Nothing like a cold beer after a smooth second contact. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah! It is better down here where the real action is. We're going to serve side by side. An elite team. We're not really elite. We're more like the cool, scrappy underdogs. We are so getting fired for this. Attention all decks. Lives are at stake. But our crew is ready and focused. Ooh, this is the new shuttle with the blast shield. The blast Stop shield, it. nope. it's a blast shield. And it, it comes works. down okay. and it goes up. Blast shield! We live on a spaceship. Oh. Nobody is dying from a spear wound. Ah. Hang in there, you got this. Oh. Oh. Space, the funnest frontier? Long-range sensors have located a very sexy... Ah. No, definitely yes, no, no, no to this, and also that. Oh, you almost phasered me. Calm down. It's set to uh, it was it was set to stun. The first animated Star Trek show since Star Trek: The Animated Series from the early 1970s, which of course mm-hmm. we've talked about on this podcast before. But this is uh, somewhat of a departure. Uh, for Star Trek, because this is not only an animated series, but it is an adult animated comedy cartoon as well. I was worried about that. Like, it's adult. So they're, they're, they're dropping F-bombs, but they're, like, beeped over, apart from a couple of times where they just aren't beeped over. Is that, like, a joke in itself? Yes, I I, I know what you mean. There, there did seem to be some that were bleeped and some that weren't. Yeah. I don't know if worse Maybe it's ones like are with bleeped. A... 
you can't say motherfucker in the 12a but you can say fuck in the 12a but it's like it's the motherfucker like mm. uh, is the well, maybe they get a certain number <laughs> yeah, but these, but these, 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 the fuck's out the bag. Yeah, well, I know there's a lot of shows like this these days that do bleep the harder swears and stuff, and and like always, Sunny used to as well before they moved network again. Like they had like the swears were. It wasn't a case of you can't write them into the script. It seems, but if you use them, we'll just bleep them, and that'll in, in some way, you know, just make it funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I yeah, this I mean, this is straight away. This is an interesting subject of what denotes adult animated cartoon or comedy cartoon violence lots of animated violence there's plenty of that yes this is the thing this show has absolutely no sex like sex references i would say yeah like an irreverent tone and uh yeah so this show has swearing albeit some of it bleeped and it has as paul says quite a shocking level of bloody violence but does it have Maturity? Privacy, please. Okay, time to go. Come on. Privacy. Are you drunk? Yeah, dude, you should be too. I mean, this station is amazing. And they have Romulan whiskey. And I bet you thought it was going to be green, but it is actually blue. It's this very beautiful color. Romulan whiskey is against regulation. Yeah, because it's awesome. Oh, man, they got all sorts of great stuff. Oh, oh, come on, check this out. Be careful with that. Pretty sweet, right? Yeah, it's a Klingon bat, um, bat, uh, bat. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. It doesn't matter. Shut up. I got it from an old guy with an iPad. Come spar with me. Come on. Oh, we could be Klingons. We could have crimped hair and wrinkled foreheads. War, war, war. I love honor. I demand honor. More hardcore than Futurama was allowed to be in terms of that, isn't it? Yes. More more hardcore. More hardcore. And this is exactly it in terms of more hardcore than Futurama was allowed to be. But in terms of the sophistication of the scripts and stuff, would we say more kind of sophisticated than Futurama? Well, no, I mean, that's hardly fair, I guess, because Futurama for me is, you know, one of the best sci-fi comedies out there, and, and especially in the early days. And those scripts were... Uh, only in the tight, early days. I don't think... While, while there's, a, there's a few episodes in here, there's quite a few, actually, that really do manage to, to balance the dual storyline, like the A, the A plot and the B plot, but nothing really coalesces in quite the same way as Futurama at its best. Well, Futurama, um, like, out of the gate, like, was, would you say season one, it, did it find its feet pretty much straight away? For Future Army, yeah, yeah, you got some of the some of the best in there. Like I think one and two for sure. Uh, seasons one and two, Future Army, yeah. like yeah, straight out the yeah. gate, and three and four as well. But yeah, it was. I think think Future Army's rare in that yeah, it was so good out the gate because you get so many classics within like the first five, and it's an interesting approach they had where you know the pilot was very much kind of story set up but not in the way where they cram in everybody. Like people like Zoidberg and Hermes, like most of the supporting cast don't turn up till episode two. So it feels kind of like a two-part pilot. And then from there, they're just like away. You know, everyone's got their role. Everyone's got their character. And uh, it's, a, it's a perfect setup. Is that mm. the case oh, where we, yeah. don't, we don't see, meet the rest of the crew? Like, well, the, uh, the, the, a, the, you know, the bridge crew in the first episode or not? No, they're in the first episode. They're in the, the so first they... episode is second contact. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of obviously a play on my favourite Star Trek film, uh, Star <laughs> Trek First Contact. But we don't do that. Our specialty is Second Contact. Still pretty important. We get all the paperwork signed, make sure we're spelling the name of the planet right, get to know all the good places to eat. <gasps> that introduces us to our main characters who are kind of the Lower Decks bunch, uh, which is Mariner, played by Tawny Newsom, Boimler, uh, played by Jack 
Quaid, Tendi, played by Noel Wells, uh, and Rutherford, played by Eugene Cordero. But it also introduces the main crew of the ship as well, because obviously you've got the lower decks guys, and then you've got the people who are actually on the bridge, like Captain Freeman and Jack Ransom, who of course is played by Jerry O'Connell from Sliders. But they're all introduced in the first episode, yeah. Mm. Like, yeah, uh, okay, you that's at least cool. get I to meet them. I couldn't quite recall, but um, yeah, that's it. So they go out the gate, like, these are all your people. No, we're not going to drip feed this. It's uh, straight in there, isn't it? And I think that's maybe why I feel that, like, overall, this is like a, a season of two halves. I definitely feel like it hits stride once you kind of, like, warm to the characters. And it might be if you revisit, like, from one, you kind of, like, have more appreciation. But I felt like it started to pick up pace and the synergy of the characters kind of worked me more from, like, episode five onwards. I agree for sure. I think I think before we get in, we should we talk about the opening credits and theme tune? For my money, best Star Trek theme tune since Voyager. Easily. I love it. I fucking love it. Ah, that is I wow. never once skipped okay. it. it. You skip it, you're a monster. It's beautiful. I think the the images that accompany it, but it feels so goddamn Star Trek. And you know, the, the next gen style font with the blue blue text definitely helps. But man, that, that theme tune slays. It's the perfect Trek-sounding tune, which is also new. Yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah. I did agree. It was very good. And I think that's... And the, and the incident of music throughout the show is, like, yeah. way, way better than we're used to. It just feels like atmosphere scoring in Discovery sometimes. Yet this feels like it's captured a little bit of that kind of... Even more so than actually Next Generation itself, because that was very tonal in an X-Files kind of way. Like a Mark mm-hmm. Snow kind of, like, store. But this is a bit more kind of like uh, flamboyant and exciting that the, the, the main theme is. Yeah. I mean, this theme has been in my head since I've stopped watching it, which is a good sign. Uh, it's in my head right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> I think it is a good theme tune. I do like Jeff Russo's score, the Discovery in general, but I think this is a, I think this is a good theme tune, Carl Harkening back. What? A little bit. I'm... Yeah, I, I do. I, I really like, I think... Oh my God. I think the theme tune for Discovery takes a while to grow on you, but in terms of his action like score... Michael Ward. <laughs> in terms of his I, action never score... Thought for, Dis- I like the Discovery yeah. the theme. It, it's definitely its own thing, whereas this feels like straight straight away like a Star Trek theme. Yeah, like, like I say, uh, Russo's actual score <laughs> for the show itself, <laughs> uh, I actually think that he's got a lot of good themes in there and stuff. I, I really I, I really like it. But yeah, this, this uh, theme tune is really good. And the actual title sequence, I, I think, is great. The actual title sequence, I think, is one of the best things about the show. One of my biggest laughs comes in the title sequence, which is the bit where uh, the USS Ceratos just pops in to that big Borg battle, which I presume is either the big Borg battle from Best of Both Worlds or the one from First Contact. Do you did you put a guess oh, at that, Paul? Well, yeah, we should say because I looked up when uh, it it's is set. set. Hold it's on, after Nemesis. I yeah, would, it's, yeah. It's, so it must uh, be First Contact. Twenty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One. Yeah, it's one year after Nemesis and five years before the earliest flashback in Picard. So yeah, it's just after Nemesis, basically. That was another thing that like I was very much like aware of that they kept on reference to the Titan, the Titan, the Titan. I was like, well, I don't, th- I can't remember if it's in the final version of Nemesis, but certainly in the deleted scenes, you get like that's very made clear that that's Riker's new ship that he's going to be captain of. So I was like, oh, I think they might be setting this up for a cameo. I think there's the thing about the, um, uh, the reason I think I find the first contact sight gag so funny <laughs> is because in that film, 
it is already a bit of a joke that basically all of the Starfleet ships are getting involved. Like, you know, you've got a Worf's own ship, he's got his own ship coming down, hasn't he, and all that. And I swear, even, uh, uh, someone told me that Kelsey, whatever ship Kelsey Grammer was captaining when he guest starred in TNG, apparently, at some point, it is confirmed that on a radio, they say, oh, such, such and such ship has just arrived and it's his <laughs> ship and he pops up somehow like so i was like so it's already a bit of a joke that literally everyone the is on, like everything of the, the uss fraser yeah. so i like the idea of the serotis just literally popping in they just can't pop in and just shoot off like one place and then go go off like that's their contribution yeah. well they get that's they get fun. hit once and they're like fuck this and just leave yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was fun but uh, as I say, I mean that's definitely one of the uh, one of the funniest things in the series for me. Yeah, I mean I, I'm gonna come straight out and say it. Like I wasn't a huge fan of this overall, and <laughs> um, we'll kind of get into why coming as it we go on. Like I say, I mean it's this adult animated comedy, and you know there's there's been lots and lots and lots of those over the years. And I, I think comparing it with with some of the other animated comedies um, that are around, I think number one, I think a big a big comparison point obviously can't help but be Rick and Morty, just because it's written and created by uh, Mike McMahon, who was one of the writers on Rick and Morty. That's his kind of big claim to fame prior to this, and he was also a story editor on Rick and Morty as well. Um, he also other things he did was he uh, wrote the Escape Artist, which is the Harry Mudd short tracks um, from their first season, which was which was pretty good. And he's also the co-creator of Solar Opposites, which is a new animated adult comedy looks looks similar again, and that's just come to Disney Plus Star in the UK. And uh, I, I think Rick and Morty is an interesting comparison point because one of the things I really like about Rick and Morty is not only is it very funny, but the actual sci-fi plots are incredibly complex, dense, and intricate. And they achieve so much in a short running time. And basically, Rick and Morty is one of those things I feel you could come at it, and even if you weren't a fan of the comedy, you could get into the plot itself. They're really, really meaty. Whereas with this... It's this very odd blend of it's trying to be irreverent. Like, you know, if we look at the first kind of scene, um, which involves a Mariner finding uh, Boimler secretly making a captain's log and then kind of ripping it out of him and then literally ripping it out of him with a kind of Klingon <laughs> uh, weapon. And it's trying to be irreverent. But then, at the same time, the show is actually very slavish to Star Trek continuity. And really, the source of the main gags throughout are basically all Star Trek Easter eggs, essentially. Like, you know, a lot of the gags come from references to Star Trek stuff. And if you're not already a big Trekkie, I would say that you will miss out on quite a lot of those. I mean, I missed out on quite a lot of them. There are ones mm. that I totally got, obviously, we, from well, yeah, you know, I, the re what we've done here, but ones that I definitely missed. 
I'd definitely say, yeah, it's a show for Trekkies. You know, it's for the fans and everything. And I'm glad it yeah. is because there's a very big distinction I think the creator made where he said, you know, it's not a spoof show. It's a comedy show set in Trek canon. So, you know, everything counts, everything's real. But of course, it can riff on these elements of the lore and the canon that we recognize. And it's it's interesting that if it had just been a full spoof, like outside of everything, I don't know whether which way it would go for the better or worse. Like it could have just done more of that and just been a bit mad. I think, it, I think it settles down. I don't think it overdoes it. There's definitely a lot in there that references stuff quite obliquely. But then there's stuff where you can kind of you can kind of get along with it anyway. But I think it's a good blend of, yeah, referential humor and the stuff going on. Paul, what, what did you make? Because I'm going to say something, I guess, contrarian to, to Liam, I think. I think we might go three ways on this then, perhaps, because I'm sort of in the middle where I, I was not kind of gelling with it for quite some time. And then the second half of the season kind of won me over a little bit. And I felt like it was doing enough of its own thing. You know, we referenced the opening scene. You know, it's used the uh, Klingon backlet to, like, you know, accidentally hurt Boimler. And it's just, like, it's quite extreme straight out the gate. And I think it's just, like, it's a bit of a cheap grab at a gag straight away. And I think it's just too much too soon. And that was a lot of what I sensed. It was trying too hard. You know, it kind of, like, cools off a bit. And it actually just sort of makes sense in its own little way the more it goes on. To the point where the, like, the last two were like genuinely really exciting and had, you know, like, the running kind of like badgy character, which is uh, such a great invention. So we'll talk a bit about it in a bit. But yeah, I think it's a mixed bag for me. Like, uh, I certainly want to see more of it. Like, mm. it was, it wouldn't be the thing I'd usually go for. I feel like I've not done Family Guy in so many years. It just was like a unique thing, wasn't it? Like, it was just the biggest thing uh, when it got put back on the air. And, you know, I've got great respect for Futurama, but like, it just feels like I've not really enjoyed this kind of like cartoon sort of thing since then. Rick and Morty, like I've just not clicked with, like even though my wife adores it. So yeah, I'm not the audience. <laughs> yeah, she is. She is. I, I don't mean, you know, even even uh, Alex, Alexei Navalny, as he gets sent to like Siberian jail, was referencing Rick and Morty. So, you know, there's got to be some some credit there. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I, the problems with me, Liam, like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, so for something that wasn't really my thing, I'm really glad we kind of, we were kind of t- touching over this cause I did enjoy it. Well, yeah. So me, I guess like I, this is going to be hard to be critical in a way because it's a lot of my feelings are just feelings and I can't really explain them, but I, I kind of low key loved this in a way of, wow. I, I think I I think I love the experience more, right? So I don't think there's anything that either of you are going to say that I'm going to disagree with, basically. But I think for me, it was kind of exactly what I wanted and needed without really knowing it. And I think it's because of dipping into, you know, the early series for the first time through this podcast and kind of really missing just the simplistic episodic adventures. And this is finally a show that can do that, where it can take these madcap ideas it's it's got the freedom of animation like the original animated series had to do some kind of wild stuff and episodic well, like, make things move well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like an episodic <laughs> weekly check-in with a new crew and i think the characters are great like this is the thing i think i think the comedy doesn't always work for sure like i think it's more the kind of super fast awkward dialogue over actual jokes and it gets a bit exhausting at times and you definitely feel that in the first episode and you feel it again in some of the other ones but I do agree with Paul that it kind of settles down a bit in the second half but there was never a time when I didn't want to be sitting down and watch it and just you know when when those titles ended and it came up with the episode title and it's like here's a new adventure I was like I could watch like 30 more of these um, before something else right now I think it's that that discovery feel of you know, what are they going to be up to this week? You know, this is a 20-odd-minute show. 
and already the extent of the crew is fleshed out to the point of where every supporting character, like you've got your main four lower decks guys and you guys in the bridge, and they all feel like you know who they are very quickly. And it just highlights even more how much something like Discovery has kind of failed the, the bridge crew, really. Because you can't really argue that 40-plus minute episodes don't have time to give everybody something to do. And I know the focus of that show is obviously very different and very serialized, and what it's doing in general is very different. And I dig what Discovery is doing generally. But here it just felt good to have mini adventures again and and yeah some some are some hit well some were kind of just meh but i was like yeah i, I this is what i wanted and i'm, I'm I, glad it's here to yeah. counterbalance the other shows we have this is the thing like you know if by the time strange new worlds comes along which can hopefully be a live action version of episodic discovery exploring uh, drama and then star trek prodigy there's that first cast photo out. It looks like it's going to be a CG animated thing. Like if that can be the, the kiddie family Trek adventure show, then you'll have that, you'll have this, you have Discovery, Bacana. I think it'll be a really good smorgasbord of everything. And I think if you like Trek in any way, you're going to find something to like. And I think that's where it's kind of working. Like there's nothing in any show we've done so far, Discovery, Picard, all this, which I just haven't liked at all. There's always been something. And for me, this is kind of what I was missing, I think. That's really lovely, Matt. There was one bit in three, which is Temporal Edict, or edict, which is the first idea that made me feel there was some like, real potential here, which was where they, the invention of buffer time. There's basically like a whole thing where the uh, lower decks people can uh, build in break times to like every work they do by like overestimating how long it's going to take to fix something. <laughs> yeah. And I love this because it just reminded me of like Woolworth's stockroom. Well, yeah, I think I think that goes in into why I like it as well, is that the Lower Decks focus, obviously it has been explored before in that TNG episode, but by focusing on something outside of the bridge, it means you kind of get that natural conflict between that crew and the bridge crew. Bridge crews we know so well already, and we just get to kind of make it more of a almost like workplace comedy as well, and the kind of camaraderie people have when they're at the lowest rung of like their career, and that's another angle that hasn't been done outside of that one episode, I think. Well, there's two bits to that, like, because in Next Generation, yes, there's the episode Lower Decks, which is uh, a classic of the show. I think it comes very late in the run, and maybe season seven, if I'm not mistaken. It is season seven, yeah. And it's like, I think it's good that it, well, I'm sure what came there is because they were really were wrapping things up and taking some risks. And that episode, you know, is quite dark. Like, uh, the ending's pretty dour. Like, uh, Matt, you've not seen it yet? No, no, I will check no, it out. But, well, so I won't spoil it, but it's like, you know, it's a drama like that episode. And uh, so it's not mm. showing the fun side of being below decks. It's dangerous below decks in a sense. There was another one as well, episode called Tapestry, where we get to see Picard's It's a Wonderful Life. And he gets to see like occasionally if he'd uh, uh, not been stabbed in the heart, he would have taken as many risks in his like life and actually ended up in lower decks. Mm. And you get to see him sort of like try and get some one-on-one time with Riker to ask how he can get promoted and Riker says now nah, you, you've actually like left it too late where you are in your career you should just be happy where you are pretty much and it was like really like amazing to sort of like see this in, insight into like the actually people go for job interviews in Starfleet people have to get promoted people need to show like get up and go we're not getting paid for it like, yeah the fact that somebody could be in a dead-end Starfleet job is a real thing well, this is the thing like I, I kind of had this idea for ages where I was developing a a bunch of short film ideas way back when and I was trying to think of like big outlandish scenarios where you focus on somebody smaller and the two I kind of was circling and I think they've since been done obviously by this for this idea and I've seen short films do this do this other idea better was like like a henchman for like a Bond style villain who's just like the lowest of the rung. There's a great short film called Bad Guy Number Two, all about that, where it's like yeah. <laughs> this guy who wants to be number one and all the other 
henchmen keep getting killed around him and his wife's like, you've got to stop going to work for this guy. You're going to die. And he's like, no. And then this idea of following basically a janitor on the starship. So it, the idea would be like you'd have some big Star Trek style adventure going on, but the entire film would be from the perspective of the guy with the mop like out back. And I think there's just such a, you know, so many great ideas you can have through that. But I think I think the, the link up here between the Lower Decks lot and the bridge crew in that Mariner is secretly the captain's daughter is I think it's just a really simple, really great thing to thread through everything. And it obviously is one of the sort of series arcs and pays off at the end as well. But that's a such a simple link and it kind of gives her character uh, free reign to be as anarchic as she is because she's kind of like, you know, not wanting to cruise on nepotism and wants to kind of be a bit of a fuck you to the system. And pairing her up with overstressy, busybody Boimler is like a really great buddy pairing kind of scenario there. Yeah, she's like the well, DeVito of the show, isn't he? Because she basically can just write the yeah. checks, like because she can just do whatever she wants. It's, it's quite funny. Go, well, go that's ahead. the problem, isn't it? Ma- Mariner is pure common people, isn't he? It's like if you called your dad, you could stop it. <laughs> like, you know, in terms of, like, yeah, she actually, there's no consequences for her. Like, it yeah. literally is like she could do whatever the fuck she wants because actually she's really privileged because her mum is the captain of the ship, so it doesn't really matter how much she fucks up in reality. I found her extremely annoying. <laughs> uh, but this is so good because you were saying, uh, Matt, you were saying you thought the characters were great. Uh, I actually wrote as one of my uh, notes, no likable characters. Oh, what did they ever do to you? Because uh, so, like, I pretty Didn't stop much... it suddenly being funny. You're right. You're right. But the thing is, is for me, there's, there's a difference between, there's two kinds of likable. In terms of likable, as in mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. genuinely people you like and would want to hang out with, and likable, as in you enjoy their company on screen. The always yeah. sunny crew, I would never want to meet in my life, but I enjoy their company on screen. Indeed, the guys you do. and then you in do. decks, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'd be fine. I w- wouldn't particularly want to meet them, but like you know, but I also don't find them entertaining. Either I personally found, and one of my huge problems with this show, is I thought all of the characters and all of the plots were insanely thin. Like, to me, it's a show that feels like what it is, which is a 20-odd-minute animated cartoon. It feels like that to me. Whereas and the reason I compared it with something like Rick and Morty is Rick and Morty doesn't feel like that, because Rick and Morty feels incredibly dense that it's running time and stuff like that, because it it's absolutely packed full. And the for me, there it wasn't funny enough to go, oh, well, you don't care about the plot, because it's just having a laugh. And the plots weren't good enough, weren't well-constructed enough to be the other end either, where you could kind of let go about the comedy. And it, it's interesting, I've, I've written down quite a few different kind of comparison points um, here, because obviously there is the Lower Decks episode, as we talked about, from The Next Generation, Season 7. And what I found interesting about that was that I watched that for this episode. I'd never seen it before. And what it actually concentrates on in that are junior officers. They're not really kind of particularly lower rungs of the ship. It's more that they're junior officers in training, sort of like Starfleet scrubs, going where they're <laughs> sort of interns and everything like that. And your and your janitor character is wandering about and kind of you know, having a <laughs> war with the main character and everything like that. And that's what it's sort of about. And as uh, Paul says, after it is actually quite a light episode for the most part, 
Which is why the tragic ending it comes as such a sting in the tail. And actually, when I watched that episode, I watched that directly after finishing the series. And the ending of it really hit me hard. It's really got real weight to it. And I was like, wow, you know, I can't just watch it stood up and like, applauded. Because I was just like, yep, yeah, that, that, that's how you do it. Well done. <laughs> generation, like fucking 30 years ago or whatever. Like, you know, it just, yeah, it was fucking great. And it, it, it has got funny stuff. You've got like Worf teaching a karate class in it, which is hilarious. Uh, Worf starting his own Cobra Kai. Like, you know, in that. Um, but yeah, it, but it's also got the actually the, the darker side of kind of Starfleet as well. And it, it really does hit home. And within, I've got to say, within 42 minutes, I was more invested in the characters we were introduced to just for that episode than I was in the characters in Lower Decks, the mm. series. So, you know, I just I just didn't really manage to really get into any of these characters, really. Like, I think maybe out of everyone, maybe who I warmed to the most was maybe Tendi, uh, placed by uh, Noah Wells. Just because she was quite a sweet character, like, you know, in terms of you didn't really... She seemed like quite a good high person. And out of everyone, actually, she kind of seemed like uh, the least comedic character. Like, the most like someone I could actually imagine finding in a real Star Trek show, in some ways. But really, I mean, like, Boimler... Yeah. And, and I like Jack Quaid. Uh, who does the voice of Boimler. He's great in The Boys as uh, Huey. But I just found him such a kind of rote, central character for an adult animated comedy. You know, he, he, he seemed like such a kind of sketched on the back of a napkin kind of character for this kind of thing. And yeah, I just thought, what, what was it about the characters that you warmed to, Matt? Well, I don't know. Like I said, I think the dynamics are there. I think it's just maybe just rinsing through a lot of them very quickly in these episodes just kind of gets it there. Because I, I agree, like, I, singular episodes like that Lower Decks episode, I imagine, can really tell a whole complete story and really, like, pull the heartstrings for. And I think ongoing series, especially sitcoms, can have a bit of a, a bit of trouble. But, like, I don't know. I think it's just the fact that they're very well defined into, you know, what they're doing in the show. I think definitely Boimler and... Mariner for sure, and, and Tendi and Rutherford slightly less so, but some of the stuff they got up to was really good. I don't know, I think it's just the you know the energetic performances going on and the bright colours and flashing lights, and <laughs> it was just it was, what I mean, it was comforting more than quality for me like, I did enjoy a lot of it right? but yeah. like it was something I could very happily have on, and I don't know if that's downing a faint praise, maybe it is because I think, I think I agree that, you know, the scripts could be tighter in storylines and comedy but i don't know i think it just felt it felt fresh to me can i, can I say like brad boimler was my favorite character of the the new people huh? i oh. also agree with you liam that beckett mariner was annoying and that's the thing is that she <laughs> occasionally was fine but like for the most part it's just like it wasn't it her schemes weren't fun enough the things she was coming up with like to, to annoy things was too obvious it, they just weren't full out enough and i think tendy and rutherford's like whole thing they should be doing the same thing every episode like working on the task and both both finding it really exciting when it should be really monotonous that was played time and time again so i think brad boimler like for me was the the most fun character that's really wants to get ahead but it's like you know really held back by his insecurities and like you know it is want to do right it just always backfires i thought he was like a great comic foil 
and he reminded me the most of myself. Like, uh, and I'm I will relate an anecdote of my first day at Woolworths PLC <laughs> in uh, 2002 when I was uh, introduced to the stock room and how we we would fill the the cart of confectionery <laughs> to take down the shop floor to uh, you know put, put in the thing and face up as you would do in retail. And uh, I was there and I said, okay, this is the section of confectionery. This is what you need to do. Like, and I was like, put it. Oh, I was like, I've made a list already of what I need to do. I need to put all this stuff in this cart. And just like, why are you doing that that fast? Like, well, you need to get in the cart. It's like, no, you need to slow down. Like, you know, you could spend a good half hour, 45 minutes up here. Nobody's going to ask. It's like, but but the, the confectionery needs to get downstairs. Like, and <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, this was exactly me. The kids need them sweets. I know, but it's just like, you know, but then we can more efficient. We are, you know, we get more, more profits for, for Woolworths. Like, and, uh, and, uh, You're like, I'm so, here yeah. trying to serve capitalism. Don't know about you, I mate. Think, I know. And it's like, these people just trying to like get by doing nothing, very little at all and getting paid for it. I'm You're like, like, what as the soon as I'm Mr. On? Manager, I'm taking you all down. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I was, I was the number one man in haberdashery. Uh, so it just... <laughs> is this where the Wilson effect was born? Yeah, there was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Boimler for me, like a lot of laughs. It took the eyes of a child to see what we were blind to today, Boimler. If it wasn't for you, we would still be following every little rule in the book. Wait, is that bad? Because I love rules. We're instituting a new shipwide mandate, and we're calling it the Boimler effect. Really? I'm, I'm honored. You should be. The Boimler effect is about encouraging shortcuts and preventing people from just blindly following the rules. From now on, the crew can build in buffer time whenever they deem fit. Congratulations. Dismissed. Oh, well, hey, how about we add a little thing about how important it is to blindly follow rules if my name is going to be associated with No, the, the Boimler effect is literally the opposite of that. But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. And it is, is it in ink? Is it already in the system? Is it? Wow, it's on a plaque. Get back to your station and do whatever you deem right. Coming later on, I, I really do think Crisis Point, which is the penultimate episode and No Small Parts, is the most inventive of it, where you've got Rutherford creating a holodeck program where he introduces the character of Badgie, which is like this demented version of like Mr. Paperclip from MS Office, Clippy. And uh, it's just really funny. <laughs> it just like absolutely hates him. I wants him dead. Like, that was great. Yeah, great voice work from uh, Jack Mabrea of 30 Rock there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I knew it was him, yeah. Uh, uh, it's funny, so this is where I'm going to throw in uh, another curveball. Fucking hated Badgie. Fun fact, I'm going to rip your eyes out. That fact wasn't fun. When Badgie came along, I literally was like, what the fuck? fuck is this that episode so when he first turns up the sixth episode terminal provocations and he and this is the first episode where there really is like insane bloody violence where badgie is just straight up fucking killing people left right and center in the holodeck world uh, in a really brutal like bloody way and I was just watching, going, "What the fuck am I watching? What is this show? Like, and like, you know, what is going on?" It felt so alien to me from the other kind of Star Trek shows we've watched over our time doing this podcast. And I was just kind of like, "What is this about? Why? Why are we suddenly seeing this guy like this random kind of like fucking badge mascot character like massacring people left, right, and this really brutal blow?" Where I, I and I literally it was one of those ones. I just literally went, "I don't get it. I don't get what your intention is with this show." Because the thing is, is like that whole bit. It's, that the, it's basically like, going off to the Family Guy Ipecac 
joke, isn't it? It's just like going yes. so far into it. Was it was a family like, robot chicken kind of thing. Like, you know, in terms of, but it, it felt, even for this show, even six episodes in, that bit for me felt outside of this show. Like in terms of, I was like, oh, this, this now feels more, much more extreme than the previous five episodes. Mm. Well, I think <laughs> like with, any, with any Trek series, as we found, Protocol. you know, it always takes a while to find its feet. And I imagine with something like this, where you can throw 10 different storylines at the wall and see what sticks, you know, I, I don't blame it for tr- trying a few out. And I just think, I think this can be the show that can has can have that tone. You know, every everyone's different. And I wonder, you know, what, because I think they've, they've gone straight into season two. They've got a two season order, I think. So whether season two will be, similar but whether they kind of you know gauge what's landing better and what's too much but none of that none of that really bothered me like um i just thought you know this is this is kind of wild and uh i'm uh, just going along with it a boimler much ado about boimler had this great joke as well which is number seven where boimler is like caught in a transporter accident and is like phasing so he's just like yeah. making all this noise and walking around and they're trying to impress like the uh the new crew like basically like the uh cover teacher is that right they go up to the top of the uh like the bridge and he's coming like coming in there like all like sparkly glowy and making loads of noise and they just like get out of here you should go to sick bay it's like i'm fine <laughs> i <laughs> well, thought that, that was, was really quite funny. an amusing callback i thought to star trek the motion picture yes it, yeah, it's pretty much the same sound effect yeah 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 because it, he, it's he, that he was really with, scared yeah it was really funny and uh but then you got like this ship but it's just taking all the people who have been malformed in accidents it, you know, on Starfleet duty, which is like, you can totally get like loads of like red shirts, you know, that don't die would probably end up in some horrible kind of alien disease. And where do they go? You never see them again, but there's like this proposits that they're taken to like a uh, sort of spa, uh, which you kind of, you know, get to, led to believe that it's not actually a spa at all. It's like this asylum in space. I thought that was pretty fun stuff. Well, I, I actually liked that they turned that around at the end, and it turned out the place they were going to was quite, you know, was so nice that Boimler actually wanted to stay, like, in the end. Yeah. Because at first, when it was just like they were hidden away, I was like, oh, this isn't very Starfleet, is it? Yeah, all the constant referencing of freaks and stuff like that, I thought, oh, God, this isn't very forward-thinking and... Uh, it's a deep but, cut. Um, That's you know. a deep cut to like 1933's, like the freaks, isn't it? Like, uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which exactly. like bizarrely, yeah, yeah. for a film from 1933, gets a lot of references. <laughs> <laughs> one of us, one of us. Well, there um, was the um, yeah, there was uh, another motion picture reference. I'm pretty sure in the ninth one. Where oh, there's, there was. Yes, there's that long yeah. docking sequence within the movie within the simulation. It's like, oh, I yeah, yeah. I liked that one. I liked that a lot. I was like doing motion picture i said to sophie she's like yep <laughs> uh but like just to see like the pilot just crying and he's looking at the ship it's really <laughs> yeah i mean that was possibly the funniest scene for me in the entire thing apart from the opening titles just because of our own constant ragging of that sequence in terms of taking forever your like constant d- ragging of that sequence <laughs> I was. I should. Oh, I love it. it. I love it. But it is like yeah, I think especially. I imagine the guy wiping away a tear to be you, Wills. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be right. As for callbacks, like it's funny enough that you know it's it's where they do a joke that's not quite on the nose. Like whereas lots of things just go, oh, uh, when Picard did this, and it just sort of like is really like telegraphed. Whereas that one isn't like saying this is for the motion picture. This is a 
a joke where it kind of like it's a visual gag that mm. sort of goes on and it's it's a lot better than some of the ones that are just a bit obvious like I, I really think Q was wasted so they managed to get John Delancey in a recording booth or on Skype I don't know how they did it <laughs> but like you could have done a really funny Q episode and just get him for the whole thing like rather than just doing like a, a, a tag gag at the end it just felt a bit like of a waste um number five Cupid's Errant Arrow midpoint of the season which is I think where I started to kind of warm to the show had this really funny gag where Boimler is like um, has a girlfriend and uh, <laughs> everybody believes she doesn't exist. I, something I can relate to, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, turns out she's like way out of his league. And a Mariner cannot believe she's actually real, yeah. uh, and uh-huh. is like thinking there's some kind of like uh, alien parasite. She's going to eat him, that kind of stuff. I was like, what I've seen of Star Trek is like she is making sense here, actually. And you believe that the whole way through. It's just, it's it's a really good, I think, uh, bait and switch. Mm. Yeah, that episode was okay. That was one of the better ones, definitely. And it ends in that kind of big fight between Mariner and Barbara, which is quite entertaining and stuff. And it kind of shows that Mariner gives oh. a shit about Boimler, which is quite nice. Tell me you did not laugh, like Liam. I mean, I'm sure you didn't laugh because you have no humour. Uh, your humour <laughs> chip has not been activated for this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally I, I deactivated my humor chip before I watched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they can make me laugh through the, through not having my humor chip on, then it then it succeeds. Uh, uh, but the scene where like Boimler like asked the computer to like design like the the hottest like outfit that from all the coolest things in in history and comes in like Johnny Cool uh, Star Trek style <laughs> and four outfits on in one was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I and then, and then later on, it's like that. you know, oh, like you came in acting all hot, like in that amazing outfit, and then you worked it all weird, like and that was the thing. It's like the outfit was the winner when you're like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Lower decks and me, it's like I'm Picard in Stuff Trek, and <laughs> Lower decks is day toyed, <laughs> and yeah, whenever they crack a joke within the show, <laughs> I you know, it's my new humor chip, Captain. I go, well, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, robot boy. Make it so. Oh, man. I really like those bits in the uh, in the second episode with Rutherford continually failing all those simulation tests because that just goes with, just does like one little thing and the whole thing blows up. Like what? And everyone being happy for him every time he wants to change departments. That's really good. And some of the little yeah, Easter egg like shoutouts that. that did work for me. The, the little mention of Gary Mitchell at the end of the first episode. Yeah, uh, got to laugh. The um the Miles O'Brien gag at the end of the third one. The Miles O'Brien thing because there was a few that came up that I was like, I don't even get what the joke is. The Miles O'Brien thing, is the joke literally just that you assume it will be someone else famous as Star Trek and it's Miles O'Brien? Is that it? I think it's just like, it's just funny to say Miles O'Brien and to say there's a statue of him who's like, you know, a also <laughs> ran character, like, you know, in DS9. Right. Okay, yes. Yeah, so uh, like, of all the people to go down in it's like, you know, just like the transport chief who like became like ops officer in uh, DS9. It's just, he's not like Starfleet's upper brass. It's not Captain Kirk, is he? Yeah. So, so, I so think that's that what it is. the joke, basically, that, yeah, you, you think it's going to be Kirk or Picard or something and then it's, it's O'Brien. Okay. Yeah. yeah, fine. <laughs> what about, I, I tell you... Oh, go on, go on. Tell me what about uh, when Riker walks in near the end and says he's been catching up on Enterprise, basically, and like, references yeah. the theme song? 
fourth wall, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy that. Like, well, it was bullshit. It just seemed to be going... That's the thing. Things like that just seem to be references for references' sake. Because all yes will go, Oh, so this is set straight after the Enterprise episode. These are the voyages. You know, you could actually place that... I don't talk about that, Liam. Right? Like, that's <laughs> the idea, basically. I'm like, but is that funny? Is that... A, yeah. Does that mean anything? Like, who cares? Right, okay. It was... I was listening to a, uh, a rival podcast. Traitor! Is, uh, I know. Traitor! <laughs> but, like, they were talking about Star Trek V, which, are, you know, you're... Okay, I don't hate, but I like. It's just you guys... I think it's really good and i think there's a really good twist that actually should have been the ending of that movie is that the god is gary mitchell in the same way khan links back to an original series episode like mitchell because he's like now this powerful being that's out there it could have been his revenge on kirk and it would oh, make yeah. sense because it's shannon directing like you know and he's going to the nemesis like one of his nemesis from the show which isn't khan you'd pick gary mitchell it's dangerous it's like makes sense it's a great payoff personal connection I think it would have been it. They just posit this. I'm like, that's so cool. That's such a great idea. Like the, the God character you just don't care about. But the fact that like, you know, it's, it's Gary Mitchell's like drawn them there from his like, you know, like to free him. From his giant evolutionary great. intellect. Yeah. Yeah, that like, would have been good. I mean, it's one of those things where it's funny because that, that kind of thing, I go, well, yeah. I mean, it would have been good for Star Trek fans who have seen that episode. But not good for anyone who was going as a mainstream audience member. Well, nobody went anyway, in. Liam. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I mean, I suppose <laughs> if it's something you can just throw in. Yeah, nobody, like, just walks in. up the street and says, I'm going to see Star Trek 5. Like, you know, without, like, any preconceptions. Like, well, you know. Listen, I don't know. After Voyage Home, maybe. Because Voyage Home was the big crossover of those. Yeah, it was the franchise. big crossover hit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, who, who knows? That's because don't, they thought they were going to see a film called... <laughs> yeah, I just thought they were going to see a film called Voyage Home. It just happened to be Star Trek Four subtitle in the uh, international yeah, yeah, yeah. markets. Yeah, I like it's just those things where it just feels like something is just thrown in there to be like, oh, you guys, you've watched Star Trek before, haven't you? Haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You it was. There were some of the weakest moments. I feel like when it tries to do something of its own, it's better. Yeah, yes. yeah. Refer- yeah, I mentioned yeah. the Q bit before. I think the Riker returning up to save them was earned because they had multiple references beforehand to it. And I think it was, it was right that he would come along and it was a good moment. And it, I think it's also it was such a strong episode, a, such a strong season finale. It worked for me. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I really love that finale. Cause that, that big action sort of set piece, you know, they take it seriously when they're in the middle of it, you know, chasing about and, you know, it's like a normal kind of red alert bridge scene. And that moment when that other starship explodes mid-warp was, like, genuinely disturbing. It's like, oh, shit, like, suddenly when that one gets taken out and everyone's dead, it's mm. like, oh, there was, like, no gag button on that scene. It was really, right. really tense. Collision alert! Impacts on decks 3, 15, and 20! My God! Is that the Solvang? I'm not reading any life signs. The whole crew, they've been wiped out! They're harvesting the wreckage!
actually relatively straight that episode, and I yeah. think it's all the better for it. And uh, and you know, actually, I really bought like the Lieutenant Shacks. This is where one of the main bridge crew like sacrificed himself, and it's like it's well earned, like because you kind of got a sense of him the whole way through, and he dies going out like a boss. He sacrificed himself to save Rutherford, and genuinely like was impressed mm-hmm. by like that that story point. And I think um, you know the way he does it as well, he, like rips out Rutherford's cybernetic implants as well to stop the the, the connection. Uh, it was really good. I mean, obviously, Liam, you hate it because Badgie was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, when Badgie returned, my heart fucking sunk. I was just like, like oh, my uh, nemesis. It annoyed me even more because, yeah, my nemesis, Badgie. <laughs> like, uh, it annoyed me even more because in that final, like you say, like up until that point, I was actually going like, oh, this is getting more interesting. Like, you know bit more serious like oh fucking badgy fuck off like, yeah, just, but like, badgy, really it was a good move me. though badgy i thought it was great the way up the device was like i'm gonna kill you all now it's like yeah, yeah he was the perfect no, foil no. to like you know get to the natural end point of his grand plan kind of thing and be this megalomaniac virus thing and uh I'll yeah, trust him. but I just didn't. I didn't. He's like dead him. now, Liam. It's all right. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. I know, He's thank gone. God. But I, yeah, I mean, Shax go because he was he was funny. I enjoyed Shax. He was like the, the proto wolf who just wants to fire on the, the ship no matter what. I <laughs> just like. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed him I like where, where you know Rutherford goes into the simulation to sort of like try and enjoy security and like destroys all the Borg really quickly he's just yeah. so impressed by him but yeah I mean that that finale it's a weird one for me because I almost talking about it want to give it another shot uh, and watch it again because although in many ways it probably was the episode that engaged me the most out of them uh, for me, it was kind of too little too late in terms of p- prior to this episode, there'd been no real hints at the show taking itself in any way seriously, I didn't think, really, like prior to this. And I just suddenly, for it to be suddenly played straight all of a sudden, it just felt mm. a bit odd and jarring to me. Like, in terms of I couldn't really quite get on board with it. I think that's another reason why I thought bringing back Badgie was like a mistake, because Badgie, to me, is inherently kind of comic character, even though I don't find him funny. Like, he is a silly, cartoonish character. And so to bring him back at the end, just as it's kind of starting to take itself quite seriously, I was just kind of like, oh, why have you brought him back? Uh, so literally those kind of things like the death of Stacks, Shacks and everything like that didn't quite impact me really. But I did like Riker coming back. I did like that. I, I think that felt and, and Troy. Like yes, he, like, had Troy, some really Marina good Sirtis returned um, and this episode. I love Marina Sirtis and I think she was given more work here than she was offered on that. TNG and all the better for it. Yeah, yeah, she was really cool. I, I really liked her. The few lines she got, I thought she played them really nicely in this episode. And I think Riker and Troy are always a nice, uh, a nice team. And you know, obviously, I think I think you and me, Matt, after sitting front row in Dark Sublime, uh, mm-hmm. the play directed by a previous Spotlight guest, Andrew Keats, starring Marina Sirtis, um, wonderful we had a walk walk right by us with her bowl of frazzles uh so close <laughs> that we could smell them. you could, you could but, smell well, them I, <laughs> yeah 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 the, the, i think we're always kind of we love seeing marina well, yeah that was like you know a literal front row but almost like we were just in the set so it was just like 
sitting around a sofa getting an acting masterclass from Marina Sirtis for like an hour and a half. Yeah, is great. exactly. Oh, God. And, uh, it makes you miss the before times, doesn't it, lads? Oh, yes. It, it really, really, really <coughs> does. And I mean, this would not be a Spotlight episode without mentioning Red Dwarf. And here, I feel it's incredibly appropriate because another one of the comparison points I brought up was Red Dwarf. Because if you want a sci-fi comedy show that's about the lowest rungs of the ship, it <laughs> is very much Red Dwarf, especially in its first ever episode, The End, uh, where we're actually introduced to life on board Red Dwarf as it's a proper working ship before any disaster happens. And we're introduced to Arnold J. Rimmer and Lister, who work as technicians. Arnold J. Rimmer is second technician. And basically their jobs are kind of cleaning out the chicken soup vending machines and the idea is they're doing the jobs that are even too lonely for the robots to do and they really are the lowest of the fucking low on the ship and it is hilarious and obviously you know me and you Matt were massive fans of Red Dwarf especially like the classic era Mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. show and you know, those that first episode where they are just going around being the, the fucking lowest of low, doing the cleaning out the chicken soup machines, and Lister in particular is like, because that's the whole thing. Arnold Rimmer is called one above Lister and makes sure he knows it, but Lister is literally the lowest rung of the ship and actually makes a joke about how he, he is above, he is superior to the mice on the ship. <laughs> and if he orders them about, they have to step to. <laughs> like, uh, and yeah, it is literally like, I, I thought of that immediately and was like, it is possible to make a sh- really, really fucking funny show mm. about the lowest well, yeah, I, you know, I, I had I had that same shit. note. And I was I like, you know, this, this show that, could have know. been the Red Dwarf of Trek. And I'll, you know, I'll forever be sad that it's not. Yes. But um, if if Boimler and Mariner had a Lister and Rimmer relationship, like that kind of like just two characters who just hate each other that much, like it would be really uh, pessimistic, I think, for the world of Star Trek. So <laughs> I have to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> That's the whole thing, isn't it? It says, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's almost like the hatred between Lister and Rimmer is almost too extreme for a kind of US show of this, of this ilk. <laughs> because I don't, I don't think I don't think this show wants to explore themes that kind of heavy in many ways. No. Like, but I, I do like their friendship very... in the way, you know, so much of it is dependent on, you know, whether or not they get and accept promotions. And towards the end, when Boimer does find out the truth about Mariner, like, I think I think all that's done really well. And, and the way Mariner deals with, like, her imposter syndrome, when she's kind, kind of... That whole episode where she has to kind of act as if she knows what she's doing with that old friend of hers, who is now basically like a captain, it's, like, really really effective in that way and, and I think it kind of you know her getting put back down into her place many times in many episodes is cool as well but yeah that's that's a good source of conflict I think for the two of them and um, especially where it ends as well I think with Mariner I just didn't really understand her character I, I just found her uber privileged in terms of I, I think she was just skating by on the fact that her you know mum's captain so she can just be this complete slacker um, I agree and also it's like this whole thing is like she's actually really capable or not and there's the episode like near the end where they're on the uh, the other ship 
and you know it's somebody who knew her from the academy and sort of he's gonna be a real hot shit and she's actually really fucking up everything yes like, but she, but it turns out she's doing it on purpose to not get transferred it's just like i didn't get any of that motivation it, it just felt contrary to the rest of the character and just felt like oh it just whatever the story needs is what she's going to act like it's not the way that yeah. she acts like is where the story goes and for that point on, it, it just it kind of compounded all my issues about Marino as a character. It, it's a shame, really, because she is like the central part of the show. But if you can't find any affinity of your lead character, that's that's a, that's a problem. And it does worry me mm. going into season two where that's going to go because she's kind of a bit like insane, like you know, where where she's like leaving like voicemails for Boimler, who's now on the Titan, which is the big like cliffhanger that he's now transferred to a different ship by his dream assignment. Poimler, you backstabbing little weasel. Yeah, next time I see you, I'm gonna kick your f***ing ass. I cannot believe that you took a promotion to the mother type. Call me. If this was like reverse the gender roles, she is like a pest. Like she's somebody you'd want to kind of call the police on. And that's worrying for me. It's like, it just isn't right, I don't think. I think the problem with Mariner is really when she's, like you say, stalking Boimler a little bit, doesn't really feel like she's grown at all, even though we've seen in the last two episodes moments which should have signposted growth for her. Yeah. It, it, actually, by the Take time number nine. Moment, it feels like she's back Wait. square one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah because nine is all about like her running a movie version of like, uh, you know, essentially this is her therapy. Like she is using yeah. this as like a punching bag to kind of like work out some of her angst about like her mum's situation, all this kind of stuff. Episode 10 kind of ignores that progress, in a sense, I feel. Yeah, Crisis Point, which is the penultimate episode, which has all the kind of movie parody stuff in it. And like you say, she's running a kind of holodeck programme uh, as a sort of therapy for herself, which she kind of invades Boimler's holodeck programme to do that. Uh, I mean, I, I've got to say, I found the penultimate episode, Crisis Point, quite, quite disturbing in a weird way, because obviously what happens is she kind of runs this program, becomes this villain, vindictor, and she kills, like, the whole crew. And then eventually a holodeck version of herself kind of pops up to stop her. It's all part of her therapy. She's actually tried to kill her mother in it. And at one point, Tendi actually basically times out of the whole thing because she's so disturbed. Look! Oh, Shaxx's earring! You have to wear it. Come here, come here. Uh, I don't know. Isn't there, like, religious significance? I mean, some of his ears still on it. Come on, dude! Orions are pirates! Pillaging's your whole thing! Okay, stop! It is not my whole thing. And for your information, many Orions haven't been pirates for over five years! Okay, sorry! Look, you can just be my generic warrior henchman. Come on! Come on, let's go torture the cat doctor! Like, really torture the hell out of her. Her name is Dr. Tahana! You're way too into this! This is messed up! It's a holodeck! It's not real! What is with you today? This is not healthy. Can we stop the movie? No. No, I'm fine. This is feeling good. Come on, let me just take down the captain and then we can grab tacos. I don't want to watch you phaser the captain. Phaser? <laughs> oh, it's going to be way worse than that. I am out of here. Arch. Hey, come on. This isn't you. I found the episode come very well in terms of like, just how, like you say, just how crazy she was acting in that episode. Like, how gleefully, like, I, I know it's the holodeck, but at the end of the day, if we, if we track it back to Hollow Pursuits in season three of TNG uh, with Barkley, 
when he's going crazy in the holodeck, and he, to be fair, he doesn't do anything as mental as Mariner does here. Um, it, it, people are turning around and going, well, you need, like, therapy. You need, like, uh, arts therapy, mate. We've got to get you in the theatre to start learning some Shakespeare. Like, yeah, so it feels uh, but, odd, yeah. Yeah, I suppose, though, but, like, would that mean everybody who plays Grand Theft Auto should be condemned as insane? Machine guns, so. civilians, and running them yeah, over. Yeah, they know like, a hollow simulation's not real, so... Go but a bit I mad. would argue that in Grand Theft Auto, we're not running over versions of our friends, workmates, and our parents. I don't know, Liam. I've, I thought that was you a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, Matt has watched me play Grand Theft Auto. And, uh, yeah, and you were trying to drive on the road and you kill people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am ruthless when I'm playing that game. So maybe I, I, I am secretly as bad as Marilyn. But I felt maybe. physically sickened the first time I punched a granny to death. Uh, <laughs> it was like, but but as, as Gandolfini says in True Mance, the first one's always the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> Another comparison point I thought that I should make with this was the Orville. Because, of course, The Orville is, is a show that we talked about on our Spoofs of Trek episode, which is Seth MacFarlane's own Star Trek-style sitcom. And that, uh, I think for me, that is one of the most interesting comparison points because of the fact that this show, I would say, is quite influenced by Seth, Seth MacFarlane's work. You know, I, I'm not sure if this show would exist if it weren't for things like Family Guy and American Dad and stuff like that. So it was interesting to compare it to the Orville, which, frankly, we all mm. went in expecting to hate it and all ended up quite liking it in the end. And the thing with the Orville is, although some of the comedy was shaky, uh, which is similar to here, the actual serious stuff and the sci-fi kind of Star Trek aping parts of the show, I feel like the Orville got more right than this ever does. Yeah, and... I'm not blown away by the, the cliffhanger of this one. I don't know where it leaves season two. But yeah, I'm, I'm generally optimistic about perhaps this, you know, might develop the characters to be a bit more likeable. Rutherford, like particularly, and those, uh, those two characters with the Orion, just like, just don't really go anywhere. Like, it just seems to be the same beast story all the time with them. Uh, they don't get any kind of, like, push to the centre either. There's not any occasions where they're the A story, which I thought they might flip a couple of times just to give them a bit more development, but that never happens. So I'm just kind of disappointed by that. Yeah, I always felt yeah. like those guys, because Mariner and Boimler worked so well together, it, I think the, the Tendy Rutherford stuff felt a little undercooked at times and never really kind of evolved as much as it could have, I think. And yeah, there's definitely should have been more opportunities to have the four of them involved entirely in stuff. Like it picks up yeah, more on the back end, right. but more, it, more like as if you would have like a Spock, Bones, Kirk away mission thing, like more missions with the four of them where they can really, you can really kind of mix Interact, up the pairs. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, this is the thing, because it's, you know, episodic and animated, I think the possibilities for episodes of what you can do is pretty endless. So um, hoping they, you know, lean into the strengths going forward. Exactly. I think I'd like to see more of them together, like, because it literally just was, Boimler was the straight man to, like, Mariner's crazy person. And that was the one running thing. It's like, but there was like, how does she rub, like, Rutherford the wrong way? We need to see that too. I, yeah, I thought it was like just two set pairings. That was it the whole way through. And I thought there was more we could have done with that. Shall we wind it round to final thoughts on this? Yeah, I think we'd be giving our final thoughts the whole way through. But, but like, you know, I'm sort of uh, sort of half cooked on it all. I just, you know, you have to kind of like set out your uh, pre-judgment like judgment on stuff. 
I'm not a fan of like adult cartoons. I'm not a fan of cartoons unless they're Tom and Jerry. <laughs> so it had that go against it. Yet I did find myself enjoying the second half of the season much more than the first. And I'm, you know, genuinely like really, really pleased by it. Yeah, some of the some of the, the references were just a bit like, huh, you know, oh, I remember that episode. Huh. That was it was all illicit for me, but some of it I did kind of find really, really funny. And that's when it was doing its own thing and leaning into stuff mm-hmm. that was a bit more anarchic. I think there's there's promise here, but like ultimately it's just I'm not quite sure yet. Yeah. I, I mean I I didn't hate it. Like, in terms of, you know, it's not like I massively resented watching it, although I did quite struggle to kind of get through at a certain point. Like, I hit a wall and I had to come back and kind of get... Do you basically... actually hit a wall, Liam? Because that's not unheard of <laughs> for you. Went right through it. <laughs> I, 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 um, I just, like, I mean, unlike Paul, I, I am a fan of a lot of animated adult comedies. Uh, you know, within the last couple of years, we've had things like Rick and Morty, Big Mouth, Bojack Horseman, all really great, ambitious, oh. very, very funny, huh? interesting. Yeah, Big Mouth's good. I forgot yeah, that yeah, even existed. Cartoons. Um, I mean, obviously, Bojack Horseman is kind of you know head and shoulders above above the malls. Absolutely, head and hooves. Yes, yeah, it's, it's incredible. But I just looked at this and I was like, it just seems so unambitious to me. It just seemed like right. Throw a bunch of Star Trek references in. That'll please the nerds. Move on. Like, there doesn't seem to really be a desire to this to get a new audience. Because I I, I don't really see what a new audience who weren't in any way aware of Star Trek could get out of this. And let's remember, I mean, we are the, the Star Trek podcast from a non-tracking perspective. We're not hardcore um, Star Trek fans. So there's there's references in this that went over my head that I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, you know, it was obviously meant to mean something, but it, but it didn't mean I, anything to me. I think that's funny though, because like everybody, their mother loved Family Guy and there was fucking tons of like references to that, but like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, true. But what the thing with Family Guy is, you know, what I was saying, it's not often these days that I stand up for Family Guy. <laughs> um, but if you go back to the first three seasons of that show prior to its kind of second cancellation and revival before basically Seth MacFarlane got too big for his boots. Yes, there are references, but it's before those completely took over what that show was. And you go back to those first three seasons and they're still really fucking funny. I would say actually, yeah, I mean, the Big Bang Theory was the biggest thing on TV, right? Yes, it and, was, yeah. And nobody knew anything what the refer- that was referencing at all. That's the thing is people don't need to understand no. the reference to just kind of like fall over laughing. If the laughter track's telling you to laugh, <laughs> you kind of, oh, it's funny, right? So, yeah, there's so many kind of references to Star Trek as well that only Trekkers would get. But yet that film, that, that show crossed over in a massive way. Yeah. How did and it I mean, do it? I don't know. Big, Big Bang Theory wasn't fucking funny either. So maybe... No, <laughs> but, but people loved it. Yeah, so I mean, maybe what you're trying to tell me, Paul, is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's shit, <laughs> not funny. <laughs> Loads of yes, references, pretty People much. Love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, maybe that's true. Like, I think, like you know, maybe, and I, you know, I, I should say, I don't think. I think there's episodes of this that are a bit shit. Um, but in general, I don't think it's terrible. 
I think it's sort of quite wallpapery. I don't really think the characters stand out. I think the stories are thin. I think the characters are thin. I think that there aren't uh, enough jokes that don't just solely hinge on... Do you remember this thing from Star Trek? Yeah? Well, here it is. Not today! Not on a Da Vinci's watch! There's so many really, really great sci-fi comedies that we've already spoken about. Red Dwarf, Rick and Morty, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that have done this kind of thing so, so much more interestingly. This is the first thing we've watched in the whole time of Spotlight. Well, I'm genuinely not sure if I'll watch more. Even Enterprise, I was like, I'm still interested to see some of the other episodes. And maybe that's because they're kind of pre-existing and you can kind of know, like, oh, there are these other episodes that exist already. Uh, and maybe when Lower Decks finishes and I go back and look over, like, the grand tapestry of Lower Decks episodes, I'll be like, oh, there's ones to go and check out there. And, you know, obviously, uh, if season two comes out and it gets rave reviews or anything like that, then maybe I'll be like, oh, OK, step back in. But uh, I, I, I do it for this show anyway, anyway are you? The, the reviews maybe. were mediocre. And so, you know, your, your, your opinion is, is the popular one. Well, it's funny, you know, because, and this is something, I guess, that speaks to what you were saying, Paul, is although, yes, when it came out, the, the reviews did seem mediocre, certainly as the show went on, and yeah, I do agree the second half of the show is kind of better than the first, so kind of this this makes sense, I guess. But as it went on, like I've I've read some amazing reviews from like Star Trek fans of this show who really got into it, who like at the beginning were going like, Oh, I really don't like this, it's not Star Trek. And by the end we go, Oh, actually, you know, I'm won over by it. So I uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of think it did pick up a following. As it, as it went on, and certainly by the finale, people really seem to have been won over. And, I, you know, I do think the finale is is probably the best. So it would be interesting to see where it goes, I guess. But I will we'll just have to see whether this is tap out for me or, or, or not. But I, I, think it's, I think it's okay, but literally no more than, no more than that. <laughs> Matt? <laughs> You ain't never tapping out, boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is it. Like, it's one of those things where I'm mostly just glad it exists. Like, if if there'd been no new Star Trek TV and this was the first one back, I think it'd be a lot more critical. And we we're being plenty critical, but I think as a different flavor to what we got out there, it's it, this is kind of what I was after. And like I said, I'm not disagreeing with the the weakness of any of what we've seen. But you know, the idea in my head right now, maybe it's just a reflection of the oppressive depression that we all live in right now of 2021. But it's like the idea of like sort of wading Matt, through you... a bunch more Picard episodes over just slapping on a few of these. Like, give me these. As I said, I like all these shows for different reasons. And this is the one where I guess the potential's there to, to get much stronger. Like, it is a bit basic in places. But, you know, I do think there is ambition in here. I think some of the groundwork they're putting in for the character relationships are, are, are working. And I think, you know, whether there's a bigger storyline at play or not, or whether they just kind of ended it with, with this cliffhanger and said, we'll just pick up and see where we go. I imagine they'll they'll fix everything in the season two premiere and, and get Boimler back on board and carry on. And I think that's fine as well. Like not everything needs to be a big serial story. 
So I guess it'll just be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Prodigy comes out as well and see how we feel about that for a show that will be specifically more aimed at kids. Whether we're like, oh yeah, this isn't for us because it's literally not for us, but we appreciate it more as uh, a creation, maybe. It'll be interesting to see where that lands. But, you know, I think I think we've always given Star Trek shows the benefit of the doubt of the first season anyway. And these ones being so quick and short and season two already underway i reckon we can just you know swing straight in and i'm i'm intrigued to see where it goes like uh yeah i'm i like it like i just was reminded of a time when you just like referenced like the times we're living in where you referred to at one point the before times as this burning trash fire of a world (laughs) (laughs) oh and that was before oh god yeah i know i just like wonder what you feel now (laughs) (laughs) i'm the one on fire now yeah. Oh. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite bit from the whole series. <laughs> was Riker. Oh, uh, K- Riker, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Riker. Go Play, back to like, Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I thought Riker was great I think it was good because it was just like it, it, was a, it was an extrapolation of his character from this show it wasn't just like slavishly like repeating what he'd done before it was like He's the captain now, and he can be as annoying or awkward as possible, like as he wants, because nobody's going to keep him in check like the cards. Like, you know, would you rate it to number one? Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's the captain now, and they're all going to like dance to his tune, literally. So, uh, five, six, seven, eight is a great bit. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, is a reference to him. Apparently, he is like in TNG. You'll remember this, Paul. That he is like an amateur jazz man in in, in TNG. What's your name? Tell me you love jazz. My name is Minuet, and I love all jazz except Dixieland. Why not Dixieland? You can't dance to it, my girl. Yeah, and that's good because that doesn't really get any play in the episodes outside of the holodeck or, you know, or them performing like, you know, in 10 forwards. So, you know, they all leave their hobbies behind once they kind of get on the bridge. So to have him sort of like infuse that into like his uh, bridge command style, I really like like that. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked it. And I've got to say, two takes breaks, great voice performance. I'm sorry I'm late. I was watching the first Enterprise on the holodeck. You know, Archer and those guys. What a story. Those guys had a long road getting from there to here. Course set for the Talgana system, Captain. Awaiting your command. Ah, oh, Talgana 4. You know, they have a little Risa. Oh, so then should we take the little Horgan? No. Let's take the one we always use. Ahem. Right. Give me warp in the factor of... Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, the jazz. That's what I just realized Lower Decks kind of is. Uh, you were mentioning about Family Guy being just tons of references, uh, which of course is spoofed in the South Park Cartoon Wars episode, where they got the two manatees just knocking one ball with one thing on it and a ball with another thing on it. They put it together. <laughs> and they go right. That's the that's the cutaway. But obviously they're referencing a, a huge kind of range of stuff. Whereas with Lower Decks, it kind of is the Family Guy, but just for Star Trek. So they do cutaways, yeah. but it's only ever Star Trek references. <laughs> Nothing yeah. else. I can't remember the name of the episodes, but it's with Landrew, the, the computer, where they said talking to death. I think that's the most successful one of the lot. You know, they've left it far too long to go back to a planet which was visited in the original series. And, like, they're all worshipping the computer again. The Cerritos is in orbit around Beta 3. Back in the day, these guys worshipped a violent god called Landrew, who suppressed their creativity and made them kill each other until Kirk figured out it was actually a computer. Get this. 
at some point, these knuckleheads went back to worshiping Landrew. Captain Freeman has been setting them straight all morning. I can't believe you all started re-worshipping the dang computer! Well, Landrew is very persuasive. Consume the intruders! Obey Landrew! Yeah, you know, that episode is very iconic. It's it's a great episode, and just for them to re revisit that, I felt that if that was the only callback, it would have been so much better, because they do them so often, it kind of cheapens it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if that had been just the, the one, sort of like, you know, a throw a bone to the fans of the last episode, it would have been so much better. If we hadn't been sort of like, you know, indoctrinated that this is something they're going to be doing the whole time. Well, they're constantly going all the time. Well, every conversation they have, they name check someone famous from Star Trek. You know, every conversation well, they're going. And, and battles as well. Wolf 359 yes. gets, a, gets, a, gets a shout out. Like in DS9, they reference Wolf 359 because it's the pilot and it's, a, it's in Best of Both Worlds. That's been three years difference. People have watched that. Like it's in the thing. But now it's 25 30 years ago it's a little bit like of a stretch that people are gonna get it yeah, yeah yeah and i guess like i guess the idea is meant to be you know what look, people in this universe if they were on that low run would talk about those people as if they were celebrities i think there would be some kind of hero worship because like barclay's certainly like that in the in, in tng like he has yes. like you know hero worship of the bridge crew and that's quite cool because it gives you a little bit of insight to people who are not quite at that level what they think of the people who are the day in day out regulars so yeah i, I do buy that yeah and there's been a really good discussion guys really uh enjoyed that and like i say we'll, we we will see uh when it rolls around to season two of uh lower decks yeah man that's it i think, I think no matter what any fan's opinion of the show is we've probably got it covered from one of us so what do you yeah. guys think exactly exactly um yeah i mean definitely let us know i know um former guest of this podcast felix trench really likes low decks and he's a big star trek fan so you know who knows you can contact us on facebook instagram and twitter at spotlight pod uh or you can write to us uh spotlightpod at gmail.com with your thoughts about low decks we would really be interested to hear actually as this one is does seem to be one that's kind of divided people um, a bit and people all over the place on it. So it will be really interesting to hear your thoughts on this one. And yeah, you can find us there. You can leave a review at Apple Podcasts. Hopefully be more positive about us than I've been about Lodex. If Mike McMahon's listening, <laughs> please don't write a bad review. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if Badgie is listening, I, I <laughs> joke to think. He's coming for you, Liam. <laughs> exactly. He's always, he's always listening. He's always listening. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, you can find us there. We'll be back with another episode of Spotlight, focusing on another aspect of the Star Trek universe at some point. We've kind of wrapped up all of the new stuff. Uh, we've got an episode on Discovery Season 3 out there by now as well, and this. And so now the long wait begins for more new Star Trek content. Will it be Strange New Worlds? Will it be Discovery Season 4? Will it be Picard Season 2? Or will it be Lower Deck Season 2 because animation is easier to make or, than any other show right now? Prodigy. Or, yeah, or Pro yeah, Star Trek Prodigy. In fact, it probably will be Star Trek Prodigy, I expect. Actually, it will probably be yeah. the next It probably will be more animation. But until next time, it's goodbye from me, Liam. It's goodbye from me, Matt. And goodbye from me. Five, six, seven, eight!